We've been working on Create the Village for some time. Both the design and production of this podcast predated the COVID-19 crisis. However, we decided to push pause for the moment on the original show design so that we could launch the podcast and focus on some of the ways that COVID-19 is affecting community development. We're honoring the social distancing protocol, so you'll notice that we're conducting interviews by phone and with Zoom. We're doing what we can to stay safe. I hope you are too. I am Egbert Perry, and this is Create the Village. What are we going to do? In spite of historically low jobless rates just 90 days ago, our national economy has entered a standstill, and there is no clear indication of when it will start up again in earnest. We're in an economically vulnerable situation. The White House and Congress delivered a $2 trillion COVID-19 rescue bill only to learn within days that it wasn't enough and that it was, predictably, subject to some abuse. More than 16 million Americans filed for unemployment in the first three weeks of April, bringing national unemployment rates up to 13%, the highest rate since the Great Depression. And because their distribution infrastructure has collapsed, farmers are destroying thousands of gallons of milk and millions of pounds of fresh produce. That is the state of affairs. In what has been labeled the worst economic and health crisis of our lifetime, I have unending confidence in the American system while simultaneously maintaining a genuine appreciation for the limitations that the people elected to lead it face. And the question on the table for you is, what are we going to do with this opportunity? My name is Egbert Perry, and I'm the founder and CEO of the Integral Group And this is Create the Village, a podcast that provides a platform where leaders from the private, public, and nonprofit sectors come together to speak candidly about the challenges facing American cities. Upon its founding, America made a unique promise to its citizens, the pursuit of a more perfect union. History has shown us that promise can be honored only by leaning in when threats and challenges confront us. We are at our greatest when we demonstrate courage in the face of our own adversity and hardship. We are at our weakest when we scurry away in fits of denial and delusion. In the wake of the Great Depression and in the throes of the Second World War, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt knew how fragile our nation can be when people are jobless and hungry. He's credited with saying, true individual freedom cannot exist without economic security and independence. Until the curve is flattened on virus transmissions and the stay-at-home orders are retracted fully, we cannot begin to restore normal. In fact, our task now is to lean in to address the many fault lines that this period of crisis has exposed. Together, we will create a new state of normalcy. Nick Kretzinus is Director Emeritus of the Harvard University Joint Center for Housing Studies, a collaborative venture of the Graduate School of Design and the Harvard Kennedy School. Nick recently retired as Senior Lecturer in Real Estate 
at the Harvard Business School, where he taught courses in housing finance and real estate in frontier markets. He has been on the front lines for a very long time, having served in many crucial and impactful roles in banking and housing finance. So just as I did with you, I put the question to him, what are we going to do with this opportunity? But before we go there, I wanted his take on the challenges and opportunities surrounding the housing crisis we faced before COVID-19 and what headway can be made in addressing the housing needs of the missing middle, which is expanding rapidly as we speak. Here is our conversation. Nick, I really, really, really appreciate you doing this. And, um, oh, it's an honor. You've been a soldier on the housing battlefield for a very long time. Before COVID-19, what would you have said are some of the most important stats that you think every American walking around should know in order to best understand the challenges and opportunities surrounding the housing crisis that we hear so much about? There are lots of numbers associated with housing. New numbers seem to appear each and every day. At the Joint Center for Housing Studies at Harvard, we were particularly interested in demographics. How many people were they going to be? What were their household composition? How did it change over time? What always singled out the Joint Center's report from other reports is we always tended to be neutral. Here are the facts. If we're talking about the Dragnet episode, here are the facts, Joe Friday. Um, they are what they are. You can interpret them as you wish. So I look at demographics. Secondly, I just look at prices. What's happening? What, what, what is the recent past in terms of rents, in terms of home ownership? What, what, what kind of trends are we looking at and where might they go over time? I thought the other variable that I looked at very closely was jobs, both new claims, both unemployment rates. If you can't work, you may aspire to a, job, a home, you may need a home, you may need an apartment to live on, but you can't afford it. Homes are where jobs go to sleep at night. So it's something I've watched very carefully. And lastly, I've been curious at the home ownership rate, not only the national home ownership rate, but the rate comparing different ethnic groups of people in different backgrounds in different parts of the country. So there's a plethora of data around. We try to triangulate as best we can, and the results are the state of the nation's housing. And, and how well do you feel that's understood? I mean, do you, I mean, obviously, you ask anybody what the top three priorities are or crises or issues are that we have in this country, and somewhere in there now, which I think is the first time in history, affordable housing is now in everybody's list. It finally made the list. For a long time, politicians and government officials would stay away from it. It cost a lot of money. There was a lot of resistance. And they weren't able to add it to their, to their agenda. But it's grown at a grassroots level. That so many individual communities are facing affordable housing crises. They can't afford a place to live. Very simply, that housing costs too much and they make too little. They just can't make the numbers work. We'll see to what extent that's carried over to the national um, election. The debates that were held had periodic mentions of affordable housing, but not with the fierceness and robustness at the local level. We'll see to what extent President Trump and Democratic nominee Biden, to what extent they include this subject in their agenda. It's not clear that they will, but we've got a better chance than we've ever had, I think. Do you think there's a chance that it will get included in the definition of infrastructure 
if an infrastructure bill is taken up um, as the next as a next relief bill or the one after. Well, it's, that's a good point. A lot of people are trying to find their way to that infrastructure legislation because that appears to be the next train out of the station right. overall. Hard, hard to say whether the, the United States Congress and the president make their own rules, it seems. I mean, who would have thought we're talking about a $2 trillion budget package? That's unheard of. Yet it's happened because of the crisis we are in. Similarly, in terms of the infrastructure, it is part of the infrastructure community. Where people live, how people live, how, how they get to their jobs are all part of what defines urban America. So let's assume now here comes COVID-19. Uh-uh. As you think about stats, yes, God forbid, but as you think about the stats that you listed before that you think would be on the list that every American should know or understand, to fully understand what's going on with state of housing in this country, how has COVID-19 changed that list, if at all? Well, it's changed, it's changed everything. Um, it is unbelievable what has happened in such a short period of time. It's a combination of a tsunami, a hurricane, a world war. It seems everything is coalesced into this virus, and we are wrestling with it each and every day. It is so distracting of what we need to do, but at the same time so reaffirming of why we need to do it. In my semi-retirement, I chair my home state housing finance agency. I was visiting the office yesterday afternoon, uh-huh. and, I, and so far this week we received 8,000 calls from mortgage servicing, people who wow. were concerned about paying off their mortgage. I thought that was a lot until I looked at the government-sponsored enterprises who in the same period of time fielded 2 million calls. Oh, wow. It defines everything. It's all hands on deck. So the, the, the stats still make sense. Jobs, certainly, we can see the unemployment rate racing up the ramp. We see the home ownership rate so far haven't felt the haven't felt the dip, but that's coming because people are going to be nervous about buying a new home. We're going to see the prices drop dramatically. It's hard it's hard to predict what the future might look like because it's, it's changing so so quickly. So given that and putting staying in this environment that we're in, if you were and no one ha- we know no one has the crystal ball and you know, probably get a hundred answers from a hundred different people, but some will be more informed than others. And I'd be curious if you're king for a day. So King Ritzinus, uh what would be the top three? Th- Did you like the sound of that? <laughs> Not really. Not really. <laughs> Not really. You know, it's nice to be out of the limelight sometimes, so not really. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the fishbowl. What would be the top three things you would implement in order to have what you would perceive to be the greatest impact on the crisis? And the crisis I'm talking about here is housing crisis. Well, let's, let me start with the premise. If I don't start with this premise, I, the answer doesn't make any sense. Okay. The premise is that the, the coronavirus will pass. Uh-huh. That King Solomon was right, this too shall pass. Hard to believe it will pass, but we have to have some confidence that it will pass, that we'll get out of it. Um, and my list of three things, mm, I think number one, thing number one, as Dr. Seuss would say, would be the introduction of snob zoning, anti-snob zoning around the country. In Massachusetts, we have a law that says 
if a community does not have 10% of its units affordable, then the developer gets a right to appeal to a state advisory board. That's produced thousands of homes in Massachusetts in a very tight housing market. So it introduced the same kind of zoning uh, incentive, if you will, to developers. Second thing I would do to have sustainable capital over time, I would expand the CRA to include insurance companies, not just mortgage, not just banks, but insurance companies. It's a steady source of capital. They get credit for being a good guy, and it's more money to allocated to affordable housing. And thirdly, and I used to say this is more difficult, but this may be the easier one, just more housing assistance, more vouchers, more grants to cities. You know, we've kind of figured out how to build affordable housing within a community. Absolutely. Now we've got to figure, now we have to figure out how to get the resources to carry that out. Well, and did you, are you, I know you're aware, and since you used to sit in this seat, that the private activity bond allocation or cap is in place on just about, well, on a bunch, in a bunch of states. They've used up right. all of their cap for this year and think that they're well into, if they took all the applications that are in, mm. probably more than halfway through next year. There's yes, a I, I'm, I'm aware of that. So, so would that be something, and I'm just thinking out loud based on something you said earlier and your last comment here about resources, seems to me if we're connecting infrastructure, making it clear that housing affordability or affordable housing That's is an important part, and you're looking at how you bring more resources to it, perhaps giving some room in that in the near term in this stimulus for infrastructure would be a good way to expand the resources very quickly and zero in on targeting affordable housing at the same time. You know, it's a good idea to make sense, and it's not, it's not coming up with brand new ideas. It's taking right. existing ideas and trying to enhance them. And pushing it into which a is much easier that already time. works. Exactly. No, that's a, that's a very good point, but it's very, very observant of you tying it together. I think we've, we, we've used the tax credit successfully. Uh -huh. We've used public financing successfully. We've used local resources. It's the federal resources that have not kept up with the growth and need over time. In some ways, while I said the, the virus has been distracting, it has also been reaffirming. It reminds us how, how fragile communities are, how fragile families are, yes. that just missing work for a couple of weeks or three, four weeks can move them onto the street. Now, we've suspended evictions and, and encouraged loan, loan loss mitigation, but at the same time, they will someday expire. And when they expire, we'll have a new set of problems yeah. to face yeah. from the residue of the, the virus. No, you're right. Absolutely. So, so given that, if you, and you know, it used to be that before COVID-19, we were still segmented. Now we're kind of, everybody's in the same boat. I mean, let's say everybody from a certain reasonable income all the way down the food chain generally in the right. same boat. But prior to COVID-19, we were, here is affordable or low income, and we take 60% of area median and down, and we say, yep. that's low income. There are resources to address that. Not enough, but some tools. And then market, the market will take care of itself. But in the middle is that missing middle, right. 60 to 100% of AMI for rental and 80 to 120 for home ownership. 
maybe a little higher depending on some of the more dense markets. Um, what do you what do you think about the missing middle? And if we're going to make any headway there, what interesting ideas do you think were on the surface getting ready to be brought forward or may already be in swing that is addressing that missing middle, which is the hardest yet to bring to? I think um, a couple things. One, I think there are some sprouts already. I think there are a lot of um, agencies, a lot of states, a lot of communities, a lot of developers who are working on whether you call it the missing middle or some people call it workforce housing. That's right. Exactly. But it's that those people, those people who can't quite find a place that they can afford yet are working. We just announced a, uh, a new grant program to, to encourage this kind of uh, activity overall. One of the barriers that we have to get through, and you've been a master at getting through them, I don't know how, how you got through all of them, is the entitlement risk. How do you get communities not to stand in your way? We're hoping the workforce housing is a little more tenable, that if we tie it to jobs and link it together, get employers to, to endorse it, it'll have more juice to it, more support kind of overall. We've got to find a way to make a scarce federal dollar go farther. Missing middle housing, workforce housing is a way to do that, and it's a way to get new friends. I've always said that the, the uh, example of a community that works is we had a public hearing on a housing development, an employer comes to say it's important. It's not just it's limited to uh, housing sector, but all sectors, that the superintendent of schools comes because she knows or he knows that having people live in affordable housing is going to make, give them a better environment for teaching. So I think that's 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 a brand new tool in our toolbox. Yeah. The challenge will be will we have any tools in the toolbox given what's going on in a larger environment? We've got to believe that'll someday pass. And when it's when it does pass, we have to be ready to move and move quickly. Yes. So so Nick, sort of a a, a last question, and you know because we've been out there so long fighting some of these battles. We get a little yeah. depressed because we think things aren't moving fast enough, and we know they're not because the numbers get worse, not better, so we're not making enough headway. But what do you see on the horizon? Are there any encouraging signs? What are the most encouraging ones that you may see? And then, at the same time, most disheartening. Well, the disheartening part has to be the statistics every night of how many people have died, how many people have been hospitalized. It's just, it dulls you. It's just, it's, it's so over, overwhelming overall. The good signs are we're survivors. We survived the Great Recession. We survived lots and lots of problems overall. But the, the challenge is how do we make real progress, not talk about inequality, but make progress in reducing inequality? I'm optimistic. I t tend to be optimistic. I'm afraid at the moment I don't think it's warranted. <laughs> I do want to be optim I too want to be optimistic. Yeah, thank you so 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 much. Take care my friend. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Create the Village is produced by Rick White, directed and edited by Brennan Robinson. Create the Village is a production of the Integral Group, LLC. Copyright The Integral Group 2020.